as we celebrate our, our scripture this morning, we're gonna go to the book of Luke. We're gonna be in chapter two. It'll be on the screen behind us. It'll be starting with verse 41, going through verse 52. And as we go into our scripture this morning, uh, you can kind of keep that, you know, that anthem kind of feel. I won't back down that, that chorus in the back of your mind as we really kind of, we're between series right now. We, we just finished a series about Ephesians called Four by Grace. All those sermons are available on our podcast. And if you have not been with us recently, we did something real cool during that series where we did these follow-up podcasts where Todd Burford and I talked about the, the scripture behind the sermon and the ways in which that we wanted to lift that up a little more intentionally. And so I, I encourage you to, to check those out. They were a lot of fun to do. We've gotten a lot of great feedback and it might be something that you enjoy. We won't be doing one of those this week. We will start those again in our next series next week about connections, the ways in which we're connected to each other, to God, to ourselves, to the world. Um, but this week, we, we're just gonna kind of hang out we're gonna hang out in this celebration of our student ministry and of our students about the, uh, the nature in which God calls them into. So with that in mind, will you go with me to the book of Luke? Every year, Jesus's parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of God for the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. Um, quick note before we start our sermon, I said that Joy for Johnny is on the first Saturday. It's the second Saturday of each month. Thank you, Bailey, for correcting me. I apologize. So as we get ready to dive in um, and we think about the ways in which God is at work in our students and our ministry, I hope this scripture um, is sitting in your heart. I hope that you're able to uh, ruminate on it for a minute as we pause, we pray, and then we jump into the sermon. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You know, I don't know if you knew this about me or not, and I think I've actually said this before, but it's worth, you know, reiterating. I'm very thankful for my parents because they are patient beyond reason. Like, I don't know how my parents put up with me as a child. I truly don't as I'm just now entering into this parenthood phase of life. And uh, there's, when August cries and like I've done all the things I'm supposed to do and she's still crying, I'm like, man, this is just the beginning. <laughs> like, what's gonna happen whenever like she's intentionally like does something that I ask her not to do? Because that's what I did a lot. So I am 95% extroverted on the Myers-Briggs. And I, I think I've said that before. So like there's the line and then you could be like 10% over, introverted, extroverted. I'm like 95% extroverted. And I'm a seven on that Enneagram. Have you ever done the Enneagram? 
So some things about me, about personality, is that I start a lot of things and never finish them. Um, many people are like laughing, like, yeah, we know. We've tried to get you to do some things. I start a lot of things and don't finish them. Um, I think I'm an expert immediately after having done you know, a task one time. And um, I like to be the center of attention and for people to like me. So those are some things about my personality that are not new. Um, in fact, I feel like in a way I've, I've recognized those things. And so hopefully I can you know, make use of them in a good way. But as a kid, I did not recognize those things. I did not recognize that my extroversion was a problem. And my parents are full of grace and love and patience. And they knew all these things about me, you know, that, that I had these kind of crazy tendencies. And instead of just like fighting them, they just kind of like strategized around them. I don't know, maybe parents, if you use this same kind of technique with your children, you know some of the things that maybe are suboptimal, but you know, you might not be able to immediately change. So my, my energetic nature, they just told me, you know, when you go to a friend's house, you cannot order Coke for dinner. You have to have Sprite and you have to tell the parent when you walk in that door, I'm not allowed to have Coke. It makes me wild. And they would check with the parent to make sure I told them that before the evening began. Like they say, did our child tell you that he cannot have Coke because it makes him wild? Because it does. They also, they developed a way to like locate me before find my friends was a thing. If we were in a department store or if we were in Lowe's or something, I would, I just had a tendency to wander. I'm a, I'm a very, I'm a wandering soul. I get lost a lot. And so my, my parents, they would do this. That's the Bob White whistle. And I had to respond. And we would do that over and over until they found me. And I knew when they whistle, that means to not move anymore and keep whistling. Because they didn't tell me not to move in the beginning. I would just respond with a whistle, but I keep looking around. And so the whistle's just going around the store and everybody's just whistling all around the store. And so they just kind of strategized for my wandering soul. And, you know, I came up with all sorts of ideas, crazy ideas all the time, things that I had to have, things that I wanted to do, ways in which I thought that we should behave as a family, like we should go on this trip or I should get this thing or whatever it might be. And I was very obsessed with it, like a moment. And they just knew that that would probably fade pretty quickly. So as opposed to just telling me no all the time, which is what they would have had to have done, if, you know, to really, for me to get the point, they just kind of said, you know what? He's going to forget about it tomorrow. So, okay, that sounds like a great idea. And I would be like, okay, awesome. And then I'd be on to the next thing. They just were always constantly aware um, that there were things about my personality they had to just figure out. My lostness was, uh, was probably, to me, would be a huge problem. But to them, they're like, you know what, we'll work it out. They, they treated me in such a fair way. And I'm appreciative of that. But they also, I think, just saw me as a child, right? Just doing childish things. And so... When I said something, it kind of go in one ear out the other. Or when I did something, was, and I don't blame them for that. That's probably how I act all the time with children. And I, I might do that with my own child. But when we look at our scripture this morning, it gives us a chance to reimagine how we receive things a child might say. As we see the child Jesus here, um, doing something that's a little bit different than probably what my childish nature would have been. Today's scripture lesson is our only descriptive childhood experience of Jesus in all of the scripture. This Jesus who later became the savior of the world. And I know most of us at times have entertained the question, what was Jesus like as a kid, right? Well, we have very little to tell us about that. We have very little scripture that informs us. And so today's story gives us the slightest glimpse into the fact that Jesus might have been similar to children in a lot of ways, but also a little different. In this story, Mary and Joseph have probably one of the worst parental experiences you can imagine, right? As far as this idea of like having not knowing where their kid is. Like I had nightmares about this, that, that 
I'll, one day I will have forgotten August at the church and I'll have gotten home. Like I woke up thinking, did I get her home? See, what was going on was they're very pious people, Mary and Joseph. They were on their way to Nazareth from Jerusalem after having celebrated the Passover. So they're from Nazareth, which is in Northern Israel. They were down in Jerusalem in Southern Israel. It's 90 miles from Jerusalem to Nazareth and they have to walk it on foot. It's a three days journey. And so after the Passover, they were leaving Jerusalem And when the festival had ended, they started to return and the boy stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group, they traveled on a full day's journey. We often read this as like, man, those parents are neglectful. They didn't realize for a whole day that they didn't have their kid with them. Well, like whenever I was a kid, I'd go out on my bike. I didn't have a cell phone. I'd ride around Dothan and eventually I made it home in dark time. And so my parents didn't always know where I was. So we can empathize with Mary and Joseph. And also they're traveling this huge group. And the parents are probably all hanging out, talking about Passover. Like, man, that was such a great experience. If you've ever been on a trip and you get home and you're telling everybody, I love this, I love that, I love that. Because that's, that's probably what's going on, right? They're all walking in this big group back up north. And the kids are probably hanging out in the back, you know, throwing stones, being kids, just goofing off. And they assume that's where Jesus is. And all of a sudden they get to, you know, the first night's camp. They get a days away from Jerusalem and Jesus is nowhere to be found. And so they lose it, right? They, they get real anxious, which is understandable. They make their way back to Jerusalem after going through the crowd, going through the group. Where's Jesus? Have you seen him? No, we haven't seen him. They get frantic. They're unable to find him. The scripture says he ended up being missing for three whole days before they found him back at the temple. He never left town. And even by the time the parents had made it back, it still took them another day to figure out where he was because it wouldn't make sense. They probably looked for him like at their hotel or their friend's house they stayed in. They probably looked for him on town. Why would a kid be at the temple? They didn't think to look for him there. But then all of a sudden, three days later, they find him at the temple, which is kind of foreshadowing, just by the way. But when his parents say that they were astonished to find him, the Greek word is actually explesomai. And it's an emotional response that conveys shock and awe that elicits an emotional reaction. When they found him, it was a combination of happiness and anger and joy and frustration and exuberance all rolled into one. They had this amalgamation of emotions, right? You can imagine if, if you're a parent being, finding your kid after three days having been lost and they found him and they're overjoyed and they are so mad. Like, I can just imagine my parents, their, their first reaction would be like, hugs, love, love you so much. What were you thinking? And they say, child, that's basically what, kind of what they said. Child, why have you treated us like this? This is Mary talking to Jesus. Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. This is probably a lot nicer than would have come out of my mouth. But Mary said, how how could you do this to us, Jesus? Why would you just run away? Do you not realize how much fear it caused us as your parents? And there's a number of things about this text that I like about this scripture. And I think these verses help shed a light on some of the realities about faith, life, and children that are worth our consideration. Though Mark is probably my favorite gospel to study because I spent the most time with it, I'm very drawn to Luke. And it's not to say like, I like one gospel more than the other because it's better or anything. It's just, we all have our preferences. And after 10 years of studying the Bible, you kind of lean a certain way. And I love Luke for a number of reasons. It's very social justice oriented about working with those who are oppressed, about God has a preferential option for the tokoi, tokoi, which means the the lesser than, the least, adding value to other people's lives who are often seen without value. And I'm also partial to it because he's a master with like structure, literary structure. He uses illusion and allegory and foreshadowing. So like by saying, found him three days later, that's foreshadowing of the end of the book. But he, he organizes his narrative 
in a way that's intentional. And I, and I love that about Luke. So this story is not in any of the other gospels, yet Luke makes sure to include it for a specific reason. Now there's a literary reason for it. And that is that it's joining this grand birth narrative that Luke's is very you know, verbose. Mark doesn't have a birth narrative at all. And Luke's is very verbose, lots of stuff. And he uses this story to say, all right, we're transitioning into the adulthood. And then most of the gospels are all about Jesus's adulthood. Yet he puts this story there to say like, all right, there, is, there was a time, there's kind of a defining moment in a way where Jesus went from childhood towards adulthood, towards this ministry career. But I also think as we think about, you know, that this is a cool thing, it's a literary thing. I love, I'm a nerd. I love those kind of things. It's also um, the divine word of the Lord. And so it's easy for me, and I think I have a tendency, and I'm sorry if this is boring to you, to get up here and talk about like the cool things about the text and talk about the way in which the writer wrote. But during sermons and during worship, we're coming to hear the life-giving word of God. We're coming to hear the inspiring thing that God might want to say to us in and through this text, in and through the story of the Bible. And so though this is a strategic interjection on Luke's part, there is a word for us for our faith journey today. There is a way in which we read this that we hear the inspirational God-breathed nature of the Bible. The first thing that inspired me from this text was actually is a different way of reading it than I normally do. I think most of us believe the reason that people and his parents didn't understand Jesus was because he was talking about realities for which they didn't understand because they weren't God. See, we now think in high insight, you know, we were not there with Jesus. We are here where we are now. And after reading the Bible, knowing about God and 2000 years of tradition, we believe Jesus was fully human and also fully God. And so it's a paradox. It's weird. It's hard to explain, but we do believe that. We believe that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. And so we often think that what's going on here is Jesus has divine realities, knowledge about supernatural things even, that others do not. And that's why when he says what he says, they say, we do not understand. So perhaps Jesus's God qualities offer him special insight. However, that's, I mean, that's how we normally read it. As I was preparing for this sermon, I read this text and thought, you know, we sometimes discredit the human nature of Jesus. We don't appreciate the fact that yes, Jesus was fully God and whatever that means, we won't fully understand, but we do understand what it means to be fully human. You and I, that's our experience. We get it. We know humanity. And so I wonder too, if when they didn't understand what he meant, it's because he was a human and they just treated him like a little boy and like we treat little children. I wonder if his parents heard him talking and they didn't understand him, not because he was saying things that they didn't know, but because he was just a kid. What did he know about the world? What did he know about leaving his parents for three days? Where did he get the right to say these things? He's just a child. Like, what is he talking about? He's in his father's house. What is he talking about? He's teaching people. What is he talking about? He had his right. He just decided to leave the family for three days. Like, he's just a kid. Jesus, a human. I bet their emotional state of being, they're probably like, why do you think you can run away? Why do you think you can tell us that we, you were okay in doing these things? Have you ever been super emotional, either with your children or your spouse or a coworker, and, and you just kind of explode? You don't know what to say because nothing's making sense. And no matter what they say, it just doesn't matter because they're wrong and you're right. I wonder if that's just how Jesus' parents in that moment, Mary and Joseph, like, hey, you're just a kid. We're your parents. You gotta listen to us. The text also says that there are people that were sitting at the temple 
There's people he was teaching, they're listening to him and they were at, and he was asking them questions and they were asking him questions and all who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Again, we could say, well, it's because he's divine. So he's got these special knowledge. Perhaps their amazement at his answers were just because like, what little kid knows these things? We're adults. We talk about these things all day, every day. This is our job to literally discuss these things and tell people to do. Like, how is it you have these insights? You're just a kid. You're just a child. How is it that you you think you can converse with us in the temple? You shouldn't be here. Because then, like now, we we don't expect a whole lot from children, do we? Or at least we don't expect children to be self-sufficient and capable on their own and be able to handle adult matters. We also tend to think that this story is about how Mary and Joseph found Jesus, right? We look at it and we say, instead of just saying, oh, they lost Jesus, like, oh, they found Jesus somewhere. It gives us some insight into their family dynamics. And I wonder if Luke might be telling us this story because no one else is telling us a story. If Luke is telling us this story, this pivotal moment, because it defined their relationship as a family. I wonder if we are getting a glimpse into the moment in which Mary and Joseph realized that he's not just a kid, that he's an adult, or that he can be with adults, that he can handle conversation, that he has something to contribute. Maybe they realize something about his divine nature. I don't know. We can't, we can speculate about that too. But instead of just, you know, becoming, coming over as their parents, they get mad, they get irrational, they get really upset, or maybe actually they're completely rational. They get upset about it. They get home, they think through it. And maybe I wonder if that's kind of like the turning point. I don't know when like the turning point was in my relationship with my parents. I don't know when they realized, oh, he can handle it on his own or, oh, he has something to contribute or whatever that time might've been. But I know I'm there now. Like I know my parents, they love me. I'm their kid, but they, they value my opinion. They think that I can have my own job. You know, they, they're not like trying to tell me what to do all the time. And I appreciate that, that Luke kind of gives us a glimpse into this moment. It offers us a chance to think about how do we understand our children? How do we understand them when they are our youth? When is it that they... Um, do have something to offer of value? Is it that we, they've had something to offer for value for a long time and we just don't listen or we haven't heard them? Luke gives us this story and, and Paul in 1 Timothy tells us, don't let others look down on you because you're young. 1 Timothy was a young person who didn't get a lot of respect because of his age. And Paul says, you know, just because you're young doesn't mean you don't have something to contribute. You don't have some value to bring. That's kind of that anthem we were playing others don't, don't, earlier. Don't back down. Don't let others tell you you can't be a part of something. This, this is a word for us as a church, for our youth to hear that you have value, that there are things in which you can contribute, that we want to hear the good words in which God is placing in your heart, that we recognize that y'all are serving at the Veterans Center that's coming up, that y'all have been doing yard work, that y'all went on mission trips. We recognize the fun you're having. We also want to hear the things you have to say. And I think it's a word for us as parents and as adults to say, how is it that I'm interacting with our youth? Whether it's my children, whether it's um, the youth that I'm volunteering with, if I'm a teacher, what does, that, what does that look like? You know, I've always been the youngest in every meeting I've ever been in, basically. And still today, even on our staff, I'm the youngest. And I don't feel that young anymore because I'm almost 30 and that's pretty ancient, I know. I mean, like, life's pretty much almost over for me. <laughs> I'm just kidding, sorry. But I think about, you know, in those times where I felt like I wasn't heard, I found solace in the fact that the scripture says, you know what? 
Just because you're a child, just because you're a youth, just because you're a college student, doesn't mean you, don't, you cannot provide value to the kingdom. It doesn't mean that you can't bring something that can be celebrated. And that's just the word I wanna offer us this morning is that I'm so thankful we are a church that celebrates our youth, that we give them opportunities, that we send them on mission trips, that we value the things that they bring to our group, to our church, to our society. We recognize and say, God has given you gifts and we wanna help you use those. And I wonder what that looks like for us in the future. How do we as parents empower our children to be all who God's bringing them up to be as opposed to all who we think they should be? Are we hearing our children when they tell us the things in which they're passionate about, the things that they care about? Or are we just telling them what we think that they should know? You know, it's easy for me to say this. I've got an infant. She can't really talk back to me yet. I'm sure my opinion on this matter will change over time. But I do think scripture gives us a chance to offer that reflection, to that pause, to say, how can I offer you, my child, this, this youth group, those youth that I'm just volunteering with, how can I empower you to be all who God's calling you to be? Because the Bible celebrates that you have value, you have worth, you have something to offer the world that no one else does. And we as a community wanna come alongside you and see that and help you share that with the world. So may we be a church that affirms the glory in which God is working in and through our children. May we be a church that affirms that, that we are going to partner with, journey alongside and help raise children in the family of God to go out and make a difference in this world. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are bringing people into our lives that are there to encourage us, that our families, um, they look different sometimes. Sometimes they look like a bunch of people in a church helping raise a child. We ask God, that you empower our youth to use the gifts that you are giving them. Help them not to back down because of their age or their fear about what the society might think. But use us, this church, as a voice of love and encouragement in their lives. Help us be the parents, the uncles, the aunts, the grandparents who say, we see God's gift in you. And we want to bring that out. God, I thank you for this church family that we have and for the love that exists in this place. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.